You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Ignacio Lopez, a fantastic comic of both Welsh and Spanish origin uh, and someone who is very much on the rise. We are going to talk about uh, his tour, which I'm pleased to say uh, is currently selling out um, due to a combination of talent, strategy and him just being very, very funny. Um, And we will begin this conversation uh, by talking about Show Me the Funny, uh, which is the uh, ill-fated reality comedy show that I was in many, many years ago and that Ignacio was also in as well. So we'll share a little bit of conversation about that. Um, We'll talk about how he enjoys playing high status and the pitfalls associated with that, um, about him flying alone as a child between families and between countries and using comedy as a social cheat code. Loads of great stuff in this one, plus 20 minutes of extra content available exclusively to you if you are in the Insiders Club, talking about neurodiversity and the hyper-focus that means Ignacio can't put a book down before finishing it. Um, as well as uh, the specific means through which he parlayed his viral Rihanna song into the core of a social media strategy. All of that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for a minimum £2 a month or as much as you would like. Um, go to comedylopez.com to find out more about his uh, his new tour show this year, Nine Ig Fails, and we will talk about that in due course. Here's Ignacio. Does it feel like the right time? I sort of say at last you're on it. Does it feel like the right time for you to be on this? Yeah, I mean, I've felt insulted you haven't asked me sooner. Yeah, yes, for sure. Yes, good, good, good. We'll get we'll get to status in a minute. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to high status. I laughed out loud. I was um obviously I was watching your Apollo clip. And the aside, and we can talk about whether it was an aside or not, of just like, these are just excellent jokes expertly told. Yeah. And that made, that's just, it's so funny because your comedy and, and, and your, not even just the kind of the written stuff of your comedy, but your attack, your angle of attack on stage is always that kind of, or not always, it always has an element of, I'm so much better than you. <laughs> and you're so you're so welcome. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you even have you had a sign off. What was the sign off on the Apollo set? This has I been an said, absolute. Um, this has been yeah. This has been me being on this stage has been an absolute dream for some of you. That's mm. what the final line of the show. Now, yeah, obviously, very very funny. And and um, I keep saying we'll get to this, but what I loved about that Apollo set was that your last four jokes were all like closing jokes in a row, like pam pam pam. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the kind of technicals of that. Thanks. Obviously. The the first thing that that makes me think 
you seeing you be high status on stage and when I've seen you live as well is like, oh, that's what you were going for when you crashed out of Show Me the Funny, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. Now, yeah. no one even remembers that show. but no, Only comedians. <laughs> only comedians. And, and to be honest, many of them, only the comedians no. that were on it. <laughs> but we, we sort of can't not talk about it sort of yeah. specifically because that that angle of attack is what you went for bravely on was it show number one or two i can't remember which one i went, went out on the first one yeah you went so out on I the first one only did one yeah. and it was it was a bunch of women in liverpool a bunch of yeah. women it was a deliberately skewed kind of for those that don't know it was uh like uh they were trying to do this sort of adventure comedy concept whereby well you're going to be in a crazy environment and the first crazy environment was an entirely female audience in liverpool yeah, and they're all sports women as well. They all played for different various teams of sports. I'd completely forgotten that. Yes, they were. Yeah. So it was sort of a, it was a, one of a series of stealth corporates <laughs> that we were doing for free whilst they rinsed us in the edit. Yeah. But you went in with, and you were quite new. How long had you been doing comedy by that point? Um, I think about a year. Okay. Yeah. I pro I could probably have counted how many gigs I'd done. Like it was well under, maybe fifty. Yeah, you know, which is a so, preposterous concept that there'd be you versus Rudy yeah. Liquid, who'd been going Doing, for like twenty five years or whatever. Yeah, at that point. Well, the, the main mistake I made was like I think following the book as well because I was like read the rules and I was like, yep, it's all got to be new stuff. Same, you know, it's Same. all got to be Same. and then stuff uh, about the city I'd never been to before. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, fine. Yeah, it's I mean absolute <laughs> madness. And then you know that was the and I I appreciate that because I read the rules as well and not everyone did. And we were further encouraged not to have read the rules by the producers who were like, guys, if you slip a bit of old in, we'll never know. I remember saying at that very first meeting on the dock, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Define the rules. <laughs> what are we doing here? But anyway, the, the reason I bring it up is that you you employed an admirably high risk strategy on that gig and, and it didn't work out. No. And I really, in retrospect, I really appreciate that you stuck to your guns and went for. And that was like an early thing of this is one of the things that's funny about Ignacio, yeah. which is that you're um, which is that kind of you're lucky that I'm here entertaining you. And, and we can all, anyone listening to this who has who has ever been 50 gigs in and employing a strategy like that will will have a certain kind of fondness for that approach. So tell me a little bit about about those first 50 gigs and that angle of attack and how it how it went or didn't go down on the night. Let's kind of focus in on the, on that night of that TV show because that was kind of a big night, but let's get the story leading up to that and then and what happened. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, when when I started comedy I was playing music at the end of a comedy night, so I saw a lot of comedy. Like I was for for months before I even did comedy. I, I remember seeing comedian after comedian going on stage, complaining about how bad they were with women, um, you know, how terrible they were in their own lives. Like just being super self-deprecating all the time. Like that was the that was the standard mode for comics. Uh, and I really wanted to. So when I did my first ever gig, all I could think about was just flipping that on its head. So it was kind of in reaction to what everyone else was doing. I just wanted to do something different. And I find like false arrogance incredibly funny. Like it's one of my favorite <laughs> types of comedy, like especially if it's undeserved or whatever. And, you know, obviously there's stereotypes about, um, about you know, Latin people being, you know, arrogant and stuff like that and, you know, suave and, you know, uh, potentially lecherous at times and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to play on that. Um, so I've done less of the kind of 
focusing on the stereotypes of that. But I've I've definitely kept the you know the the false unearned arrogance almost, but just very much yeah, like you said, like you know they they, they should be very pleased to have me on that stage. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so the root of that really is that that tickles you personally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Is is there also because this is something that you go out and do every night? Is there also an element of that that is expressing something real, something authentic? Well, I think um, you know I'm lucky in some ways. I am I am good at what I do. I'm not I'm not shit. I'm not as shit as I appeared on that show anyway. And I think sure. uh, me going out that first episode, it wasn't the gig of my life. It certainly wasn't the worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that was a wake up call for a lot of the other acts on the show as well, because especially when they saw the edit of the first episode go out. Because as bad as my that gig was, which I, you know I wasn't good that night, uh, but they they really butchered me in the edit. Yeah. There's there's only so much you can do in that scenario, and then when they have full control over it, when they're playing sad piano music over your set, and they cut they're cutting to <laughs> images of like women yawning who weren't yawning at the time, yeah, but yeah. Like just, <laughs> during the interval or whatever. It's like you know they've really really played with me. And, cut, uh, cut to a woman being sick into a gutter outside, <laughs> as if that's happening during your set. That's, that's happened because and of we me, didn't yeah. know, right? Because reality yeah. TV was a thing, but it wasn't yeah. so much of a thing. I remember talking to one of the producers. He went, "No, no, no. This isn't reality TV. This is Obdoc. This is observational yeah. documentary." And you're like, "Oh, is that is that how you yeah. like to us? Is that how you frame it?" <laughs> so we didn't know. So we were we were kind of I, the thing I think nowadays is if if that show were to happen again. I would know how to play it and I also wouldn't go up for it because exactly. I've seen loads of RuPaul's Drag Race and I know now the game you have to play and the, the things. Yeah. But we were all so new. And do you, did they even make you, did you have to go on first? Did you open at that gig? No, no, they were quite, because the people who won the challenges got to pick. And I think, oh, um, yeah, yeah. I think, was it Tiff and Ellie got to choose the lineup? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they picked me, so they put me in the middle. I, I mean, to be fair, if I was a little bit better as a comic at the time, I think I might have gotten away with it. Uh, but you, you've just got no idea that none you of that material landed. Totally. You could have gotten away with it. What, do you remember what your opening line was? Um, yeah, I said if... Oh, shit. Somebody quoted it at me a few months after the gig, oh like heckled me with my own God. line. Uh, it was something like, uh, if we've, if you don't know who I am, or like if we've not met or something like that, uh, something... turn turn to the woman on your left... Uh, she will have my phone number or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, and we yeah. we will have slept we will have slept yeah, with sure. each other, which got a laugh. Like that opening line worked, but on TV it looked brutal because that was the that was like the one laugh I got uh, yeah. of the set. But they they even made it look like that died on its ass. So, oh man, yeah. man! And, uh, because the thing is, like the um, there's no space for appreciating, let alone in the edit. I mean, even just like even if even if they'd left it unedited. The task, the monumental task required as you and I played the game of brand new every single time. Right. So you have to cut. You have to you have to write in three days whilst being badgered for all sorts of meaningless interviews. Yeah. You have to write a new opening line. Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's insane. A new close, <laughs> a new five in the middle. It's yeah. bananas. So to come up with an opening line which sums you up, expresses your angle of attack exp and particularly something that you were like, this is going to be suffused with this character that I'm doing, which is this. You know, this yeah. kind of status. God, it just they say 
it's not that they set you up to fail. They set it up so that it would be fun if someone failed and yeah. you walked into it going, yeah, I believe in this. I'm going to try <laughs> rather than walking on and either comparing the room as some people did or relying on old, you know, openers. Oh, obviously I'll do new, but I'll, I'll do five. I'll do five of my six minutes will be old just to get them on board, you know. So I, I my, my heart went out to you. And and tell me about that um about the kind of the aftermath of that. And I, I I feel I've I hope I've done enough work at the beginning of this interview that if people like we've talked about your Apollo clip and your amazing stuff, like you yeah, know, this yeah. is this is oh, ancient like, history. It is ancient history. Yeah, I feel I feel, I mean I was happy to talk about it at the time as well. I'm not um I'm not trying to hide from anything I've done. And also I went into that show think all I cared about, I didn't care about winning. All I cared about was being funny. And you know, I feel we were sold a bit of a, oh, this is going to make you, you know, this is from the producer, sure. this, we got this consultant on it, this made this person's career and all this yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, and all I cared about was being funny. So even in the interviews, I was fully like as arrogant as humanly possible. Like, they, were, <laughs> they were asking me stuff like, oh, what would you do with the money if you win? And I was like, I've already won. I was like, I've already spent the money on a yacht. You know, it was just ridiculous sure, stuff. Sure. And yeah, just really, it was seeding, you know, seeding, um, Sowing the seeds for my own uh, downfall, I think, in that, uh, which, which they, they had a, a good kind of pantomime kind of character to, to play with. After, sure. uh, I mean, I was, I feel like I was hated by everyone. Oh. Uh, I, f I feel like I was hated by... 50 gigs in. Yeah. Such yeah. a new squit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it got, I mean, it builds up. First of all, I lost gigs. Like oh. gigs just vanished out of my diary. People were saying, and I didn't have any representation. Any, obviously, I didn't have representation for 10 years. I just cracked on myself. But uh, it was the point where like we watched the episode, then the hate started pouring in. And even my family were kind of like, I think you should probably stop doing stand up now. That's, uh, you know, oh, you tried it. Man. You tried it. Um, and then it got picked up by Spanish news. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was getting like death threats from Spain. Like you don't represent Spain, you know, um, yeah, it's some pretty, oh, pretty brutal messages. I didn't realize it was that brutal. Oh, my yeah. God. And it, for about a good two years, I think every gig I did manage to get on there, and that's all anybody wanted to talk to me about. So it's kind of a reverse of that now with Apollo. Like, every green room I go in now, people are like, so how is Apollo? Rather yeah. than, you know, but they're, 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 um, the dynamics changed a lot more. You know, it's, it's much more exciting, and I'm happy to talk about it. It was before, it was like, oh, it's this dickhead from that show went out who shouldn't have been on there in the first place. Well, I have to say, when I watched that Apollo clip, when I see you walk out on stage, that moment, I was so fucking pleased for you. And I was just... <laughs> I was I don't know how much of this I overlaid on it and how much was kind of there or visibly there or there in the back of your mind. That feeling of vindication. What or was there a feeling of vindication at the time? Because you'd been treated badly by TV in the past. You yeah. know how much it relies on the edit. And we know there are people who've done Apollo sets and the sets haven't gone out because they are either they've I mean, was it Nick Helm who did a chortle piece about the fact that yeah. he, he died and they fixed it or they made him look great. Yeah. And I th I really got a lot of admiration for him for, for putting that out and saying 100% what yeah. it looked like, because as a comic as well, we all we all know <laughs> like we're looking at the crowd and how they've cut it. And he but he was he owned that and um, and it looks great and he's really funny on it. But I can see yeah. him inside dying you know it's horrible you can see yeah. that look on a comedian's face when it's not going yeah not going their way so so were you I, I suppose my question is did you as you walked out did you think vindicated do you know what I mean um, or were you thinking shit I hope this goes well enough that they don't butcher me in the edit again no to be honest man I was I've you know it's been a long time like what was it 2000 and 
oh, I think yeah. 2010, uh, mm-hmm. we did. We started doing auditions and stuff for Show Me the Funny. Man, if they'd aired the pilot episode of Show Me the Funny, I would have. I would have been an overnight success. Ah, like, oh, man, could not have gone better. That's why I yeah. had this also false sense of security. Uh, well, I, I, always, then, I always mention this on on the, whenever I talk about it. Me and Alfie Moore had a chat yeah. where we both just spanked a gig in Wales, <laughs> and we were chatting afterwards in the hotel before traveling off the next morning. Going, we've made it. We've made it. They reckon 10 million people are going to watch this. And we both destroyed. And then you watch it back and you're like, oh, they showed four seconds of it. Cutting back to bless him, Jason Manford going, he's doing great. And I'm like, get the fucking, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there was a, yeah, there was a, there was a whole, um, a whole raft of emotions going on with that. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that moment of the, not even in, not in relation to the other show, but the Apollo moment of like, talk to me about the night of doing that. Well, it's, you know, not, it, Show Me the Funny was so far out of my mind. Like, I've done a few other bits and pieces since then, mm-hmm. TV-wise, but I've just been very um, much more cautious about going into anything. So mm-hmm. I was I was aware that, you know, I can get butchered in the edit. Apollo, I think, is a great one because they're not there to fuck you. It's not in their in- it's not in their interest to make you look bad or to make it unfunny. They're trying sure. to make the funniest show possible. Uh, so I, I went into that with no fear whatsoever. And they kept, there was one production, one member of production staff back, backstage, because uh, you're there with like two episodes worth of comedians. Mm-hmm. So you, because they shoot two episodes back to back at Apollo, which is a slog for the audience. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I've been in it. Yeah, it's long. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're there backstage with uh, five other comedians and like all production staff and somebody kept going around going like, oh, so, you know, are you nervous? And there's a few acts on that. Well, there were a few acts on there much newer than me. And I was like, don't ask them that. And they were like, oh, but are you nervous? I was like, no, of course not. And I was trying to explain, like, we're going to look amazing on this. You've got an entire audience who've been warmed up, who are ready for stand-up. That's what they've come to expect. Um, they're there to have a good time. They haven't paid for tickets, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. cheap, cheap bastards. Um, they're there for a good time. We've polished this set to hell, I imagine. We're doing 20 minutes of our strongest stuff. And... They're going to edit it to look good no matter what happens. So I had, for me, I was just like, it's just another gig. And I, yeah. I'd done a few big theaters, like in the run up to it, supporting uh, like Jason Manford and John Bishop and stuff. Oh, so yeah, it yeah. felt, it felt like exactly the same. Cause that is a lovely gigs, feeling, isn't it? When you, uh, when you you look out at the size of a room and you're like, this is just another room. Yeah, like when you exactly. really first, like I could have had that outside eye reflecting yeah. on, Woo, look at me. I'm just <laughs> dealing with this like it's a gig. Like I yeah. feel at home in a 3000 seater. What a feeling. Yeah, it felt great, man. It was and, and like walking out as well. I just had uh, I was just so calm. Um, I know one thing that, that you are kind of hesitant with uh, is the time because you've got this massive red clock on the stage and it's okay. kind of counting down to what you've got. And I'm not going to tell you which acts until we stop recording, but some acts go well over that fucking clock yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you can see the producer backstage like flipping out so I stuck I had to cut out I reckon about four minutes worth of material which is a good problem to have because I'm on sure. stage people and I, I told I had to tell the audience at one point to shut up and stop laughing yeah you know <laughs> I don't have the, time for this the, the yeah. best feeling in the world you know <laughs> that's great yeah I suppose there there is a um there is a, uh, um, a theory, a, a working practice, which is that, and I'm sure people have said this to me either on the show or in, in green rooms, you, even if you annoy the person who is you know, the floor manager or whoever, give them as much stuff as you possibly can, because then they can do the best job. And what's best? You keep everyone happy on the night or when the clip comes out, it's that much better. You know what I mean? So so yeah. I think the pros, the old lags are kind of working towards, oh, yeah, I've broken time. 
So anyway, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that, and I, I, I get the value of that. Obviously, that's that's not an, anything that any of us can officially sanction. And if we ever overrun, overrun, it's always an accident. But I do, I do kind of, you know, you can see the the different ways people approach that. Um, I wanted to talk just while we're on Apollo. I wanted to talk to you about what you were wearing as well, because you, oh, yeah. you. You talk to me about that decision because it reminds me of another comic, a Canadian comic, Mark Forward, who for for years did jeans and a T-shirt and a hoodie. And he just looks like himself. And he's like, they tell him to dress up. He's like, I'm not going to dress up. This is what I wear when I do comedy. And I really liked I liked how different it was that you were kind of casually dressed rather than, you know, toffed up to the ninth. Yeah, no, well, that's what uh, I just wore what I wear on stage now. And I, you know, I used to perform in like uh black trousers, black shoes, and a shirt uh, of varying different colors. Uh, then I switched to like burgundy, and I pretty much exclusively wear burgundy, black, and gray now. I hadn't <laughs> noticed, but of course you do. You're wearing team colors now. Yeah, You're wearing yeah. your brand. Mate, my, my wardrobe, you open it up. It's all uh, black and gray, nine-inch nails t-shirt, some other dark clothing, and just half of it's burgundy. So, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about nine-inch nails. I'm a massive nine-inch nails fan. We'll talk oh, about really? that. We'll leave that. Okay. Yeah, well, I saw the premise for your new show, yeah. Nine Inch Fails, and I was like, yeah. hang on a minute. Yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. We'll get to that. So cool. burgundy, yeah. So why burgundy? Is it because it's the color of red wine? Is it because it's oh, kind of matadorial? That's a good one. It is. It does feel, it does feel very Iberian, and uh, I like the – yeah, I just like the color. It's rich. Um, I think it like looks a bit like classier as well if you're talking like colors and, and breaking them down that way because um, they were very much like oh you got to wear a block color and I was like sort it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got it no problem uh, <laughs> oh, that reminds me of Nigel Ung who has uh, he refers to clothes as pieces that really made me laugh he's got I've got a couple of pieces and they all look they all look good with each other so he never has to spend very yeah. Nigel never has to spend any time thinking about what to wear I'm yeah. constantly stressing out about what to wear and i suppose part of that is um it's part of it is my kind of terrible neurosis about like who will they see me as will they like <laughs> me will will they regard me as scum so i i kind of um, do you have any of that does it solve a problem for you always wearing the one color is it like no. a nice thing oh. you do or does it help you not have to worry about it well, I, I remember speaking to somebody quite early on, just explaining that uh, it, it's, it is important what you look like on stage and what you're trying to project. So when I was trying to do that really early on, like super high status, like persona, um, it was important for me to dress up slightly more than the audience. And I did think about those kind of things. I was like, right, I want to be wearing a suit. I want to be, um, I never went quite that far. I've worn a blazer occasionally, but, uh, you know, I was always in a shirt and like dressed quite smart. Um, whereas... As time's gone on, I'm so confident in my material now and who I am on stage. I just want to feel comfortable and and who I am. Yeah. But that does mean that, you know, it's uh, I try to keep what I wear on stage and what I wear in real life separate because otherwise it you need some kind of transition between walking around every day in your joggers or whatever and then walking up on stage to entertain like a couple of thousand people or something. But I showed up to the Apollo for the the makeup people and the wardrobe. Uh, and they were like, oh, you've got to bring like three options. Uh, and I did, but they were all identical. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and I knew because I, from a, a like video background, I went to film school. So I was like, I know none of these are going to peak on screen. None of these are going to, you know, sure. cause any sort of, so straight away they just went, yeah, they're all fine. Pick whichever one you want. So yeah, great. <laughs> I went with the oldest pair of jeans because they were the most comfortable and, uh, and a burgundy t-shirt and a denim jacket, piece of cake. 
So this is Ig. Really good fun talking to him. I'm having a whale of a time, as you can hear. Um, a couple of things. Oh, while I remember, um, there is a charity fundraiser at the Leicester Square Theatre on Monday, the 22nd of May. It's for Women and Children First, and you can get tickets from womenandchildrenfirst.org.uk slash comedy. You can even use the code, and this is hard to say, Five Eyes Off, right? So in the same way that Seven, the film, is should be pronounced to Seven N. This is Five Eyes Off. It's numeral five, I-V-E-O-F-F in capitals. It gives you a fiver off. Um, and the lineup includes Alistair Beckett-King, Rhys James, Rosie Holt, Lara Ricott, F- uh, Rachel Fairburn, Sakiza, Harriet Kemsley, Jazz Emu and Vic Slayton. So that's at the Leicester Square Theatre on Monday the 22nd of May for Women and Children First. Now, we will return to Ignacio in just a sec. Uh, remember, we've got 20 minutes of extra content available uh, to members of the Insider Club. There's some really good stuff on there, particularly about Ignacio's hyper-focus, which, to be honest, I'm sort of fairly jealous of. I'd love to be able to not stop doing something until I'd finished it. I think that would be, I mean, I'd be a completely different person. Um, But Ignacio is on tour later in 2023 with his new show, Nine Ig Fails. uh, And you can get tickets via ComedyLopez.com. And you can also follow him across the board of social media at Comedy Lopez. Now, I've got some bits and bobs coming up, including some previews. Um, Thank you to everybody who was at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival. That was loads of fun and also... One of those useful previews where you're like, oh, right, I've learned some stuff from there. So thank you. I'm at the Bill Murray uh, in London on the 21st of May with a preview there. Um, In June, I'm at the Big Difference in Leicester on the 4th and at North Down in London on the 13th. And I'm also going to be at the Leeds Comedy Festival on the 6th of July, as well as the Comedy Crate Festival Northampton on the 9th. Uh, and some other bits and bobs in between you can check in at stuartgoldsmith.com and there's links there to all my latest live stuff via the magic of linktree i've just recorded a really fun episode with Gianmarco marco which i think you're going to really love um lots and lots of uh, socials crushing stuff on there and as i said on the episode this is what reminded me of it if you are a british comic you would do well or a comic from anywhere in the world you would do well to suss out which uh, American comics you haven't yet heard of but suspect you might be about to are doing brilliantly on YouTube and Instagram and things like that. And just learning what software they use and the toolkits and all the rest of it. That's a talk about cheat codes. Um, you can find out everything I'm doing um, with my uh, preparations for Edinburgh, where I'll be taking spoilers, my award winning Leicester Comedy Festival Best Show 2023 show uh, to the Monkey Barrel. It's on at 3.20 daily at Monkey Barrel 1. All the tickets for that are on the website, on mine and theirs as well. Um, and uh, also the climate comedy thing is now even more real. So you remember me shouting out a few years ago going, hey, I've got this presentation that I give on resilience and stand up comedy and what what you can learn about resilience from looking at the model of comedians and insights from this podcast and years worth of interviews. Um, And many of you kindly stepped up and um, and sort of let me do that in an open mic way. Well, that, as you know, is a sort of continuing success. So thank you very much to everyone that was involved in that once again. But now I have a climate comedy equivalent. It's similar, similar but different. I will tell you all about it. If you are someone that knows about sustainability or works in sustainability in organisations, please get in touch. You can find out more about it at stuartgoldsmith.com slash climate. Very exciting stuff. Now, let's get back. Let's get back, right? What else is going on? No, let's get back. Let's get back to Ignacio Lopez. Here he is. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I was listening to uh, Espanolo. Great title. Lovely show. Thanks, but, uh, really, <laughs> Espanolo. Yeah. That's, a, that's an afternoon off kind <laughs> of, uh, like, oh, yeah, nailed that. Um, are you the only Spanish comic or the only uh, Iberian comic uh, in the UK? No, they, well, there's a few around, but they, they're not, um, uh, they all tend to be based in London and like, you know, starting out. They're not, they're not, um, yes. they're not sort of closing clubs and stuff. I just couldn't imagine hearing your voice and hearing your accent. I was like, <laughs> this is, this is a real, this is really unusual. Yeah. Oh, when I was performing, when you first saw me or... No, no, no. Just generally, just oh. recently, listening, listening to Espanola oh, on okay. Spotify, <laughs> available now on Spotify. Yeah, um, and Apple Music. Yeah, I just, it, yeah, it just suddenly struck me. I was like, I just don't hear this accent yeah. anywhere. And obviously, what you talk about, particularly on that, on that, um, uh, I, I was going to call it a special, then, but I can't bring myself to on that album. Yeah. Um, uh, what you talk, you talk a lot about like your stock in trade really at that time and on the Apollo clip is kind of cultural differences and you're kind of playing with England or British people's relationship to Spain. Yeah. Things that you've heard, you know, the stuff about Spain won World War Two because that one guy who was the world's best spy, you know, like you're really kind of leaning into that. So talk to me about that. Is that something is, is that something that you go for because it fascinates you or is it that it's a good way to foster a connection with an audience or like what's like, you know, you know, you have lent into I'm a, I'm the Spanish guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? For sure. In a way that, you know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of I mean, when I when I first because I've been back and forth my, my whole life. So like when my dad first tried to open up a restaurant in the UK, um, I came over and they, I did a joke on Apollo that got cut out, actually, about like being picked on and stuff like that. Uh, I had a really, you know, I had a really rough time trying to fit in anywhere. Like back in Spain, I had a rough time because uh, my family in Spain are from all over as well. Uh, you know, my dad grew up in Morocco, so his first language was French. Uh, my mum is like Welsh Irish, and then when I came to Wales, you know, my accent didn't fit in with anyone. Uh, I had to learn how to do a Welsh accent just to to get by, just so I wouldn't get you know the shit kicked out of me and stuff. Um, and I, I that's a lot of what I do is about fitting in. And now, the longer I've been doing stand-up, it's more about, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and fit in. I will talk about stuff that's going to be applicable to people, but I'm going to more about, it's more about becoming myself on stage and being comfortable to just go out there and be like, no, th there are differences. Let's celebrate them. Let's talk about, you know, the things that are the same as well. Mm. So tell me just a bit more about your childhood. So you were going back and forth the whole time between Mallorca and Wales. Yeah, my we 
I first came over, I think I was like, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna reflect back to you that there was a bit of a heavy sigh there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's just, I, just because I think, especially now, I think it definitely prepared me as a comedian for all of the travel we've got to do, because sure. I was, you know, at six years of age, I was like jumping on a plane by myself when, you know, because, oh, yeah, because my parents separated, so I was kind of going back and forth. Uh, they said oh, they, they separated a bit later, but like you know, my, I'd get dropped off in one airport and then you know go to go to another one, a different country. So, and what, how does that work? Do you get like someone from the you get like a steward from the airline looks after the six year old? They uh, yeah, at one point, and they then they could tell I was a frequent traveler, and they were like, just leave <laughs> leave him to it. Um, I remember that it was quite tough at the start because I was forget. Even though my mom always spoke to me in English and my dad always spoke to me in Spanish, uh, I'd forget words either side of it. So I'd get to like I'd be you know I'd be talking Spanish straight with my dad for months, and then I'd get dropped off at the airport, fly to the UK, get off that end. Uh, my mother's there to pick me up, and you know I'd forgotten the word for bags in English, you know, so like my maleta is my luggage. So I'd um I'd have somebody come over and going like, oh, have you got any bags? And I just didn't know what bags were. And I was like, no. <laughs> so they took me Man. all the way through airport security. My mother, the other said, she's like, where are your, you know, where are your bags? And then it clicked and I was like, oh, it, they're back through there in the in the luggage thing that you're not allowed back into. So that was a oh, bit of a, a palaver. So there was silly things like that that happened. Um, farcical kind of elements of childhood but you know growing up in in two different cultures it does give you different insight and then going to school sure. with different kids and and finding out it's remarkable like how everyone i talk to about it as well it's like remarkable how similar everyone is worldwide like people think people like to think that their their nation's like sense of humor is unique or something and the more you travel the more people you speak to you're like no it's not everyone laughs at themselves everyone takes the piss out of themselves everyone hates their government you know it's really easy to kind of crack jokes about that sort of stuff so it's nice just on your childhood is that like some of the things you've talked about there are quite kind of heartrending like <laughs> were you were you a happy kid like you, when you were kind of avoiding getting the shit kicked I out think of so. you and i was very shuttling around i was very creative so my mom uh, just recently went back to uh, she went to visit family in barcelona and my uncle was telling her uh like how different i was as a kid like he'd hold up a lighter and he'd sort of say, uh, oh, this is your father. And he's, you know, when I was like five and he all, ki he said every other kid in the family, because I've got like 40 cousins, you know, or plus, he said like every kid in the family would be like, no, it's not, that's not my dad or whatever. But I'd take the lighter and go, oh yes, there's his mustache. And I'd start like acting yeah. out <laughs> a little story with the lighter. I was a creative kid, you know, so I kind of made my own uh, entertainment and stuff. So, yeah. And then what was your route into comedy? You said you went to film school. I went to film school. Oh. That had Also, I want to point out as well, this is what I think didn't do me any favors on Show Me the Funny. All I cared about was being funny, not about, you know, it's like similar to university as well. Even though I wasn't aware of stand-up comedy or doing comedy, all I cared about was being funny. So the, my best moments, apart from making films, which I love, in university was uh, was the presentations we had to give and i'd walk out of like presentations with like my group um and i'd be like killed it you know because <laughs> people were laughing <laughs> and i or maybe i'd get a terrible grade but i wouldn't care because i was like i got them in the room that time so i was like before stand-up um 
And then what, I, why? What's your theory on why that was so important? To well, you? was it accepted? Like you might, I might from the outside go, well, clearly you're accepted. If they're all laughing <laughs> at you, then you're accepted exactly. because you don't feel accepted because you're halfway between places. I see comedy as a language. And like once you've kind of, you know, you can learn a language and you can get conversational at it and stuff, but you need fluency and that comes through practice. And when you reach a point as well, it, it, it totally, it's a form of acceptance. And when people laugh, it means they understand your humor. Uh, and that's, for me, that's what comedy is, communicating something that you feel is funny and making other people laugh with it. Comedy's a language. I like that. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm after. So comedy's a language. I want to sort of test that theory or sort of explore it. It is, I mean, it has a commonality, doesn't it? So I'm just wondering why, yes, it's a language, but it's also, it's also that, that that is important to you particularly. So you're able to communicate. I'm sort of wondering whether there's kind of a young Ignacio who is, um, you know, struggling to get on with friends back in Wales because he can't remember what the word for whatever is. But if with eye contact or a joke or a, a something you can make them laugh, then you're accepted and like you're trilingual, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, as soon as that started getting across and as soon as kids, as soon as I could make kids laugh, uh, then I felt like, oh, I've got something here. This is going to get me by. Does that mean then, as an adult, if you have this, this, this is a highfalutin theory, I may be totally wrong, but certainly I think in my own psychology, being able to make people laugh means that you're accepted. It smooths things over. For me, it's like it smooths over awkwardness or me having made a social mistake or dropped a clanger somehow. Um, or other people not getting on, you know, if I think of my family and being awkward with each other and I, I'll make everyone laugh and then it'll be OK. For me, that means that if I then have a bad gig as a grown up, it has psychological ramifications beyond I failed to make those people laugh. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Is that the case for you? Yeah, totally, man. I, I think uh, definitely in the moment uh, it can kind of bring back maybe trauma <laughs> of being unaccepted or you know not being uh, not being seen as as part of the group and stuff but w um, the truth is we're not as well like we are outside we're the ones standing on a stage uh trying to entertain people i do think being in comedy is sometimes it's a bit like having a cheat code as well you know when you're in a social situation and kind of a, you know you're having a conversation with people or you've just entered a group and you're not part of that group and you quickly you can assimilate or you know make make a connection to people just by making a quick joke and making them laugh so it's quite a nice thing to have in your back pocket yes i'm wondering about the gigs where like you haven't gone down well and you come up thinking comedy is a language and tonight <laughs> i forgot the word for bags <laughs> do you know what i mean like i sure. i did tonight i didn't speak it <laughs> yeah that's tricky you mentioned you mentioned you know trauma or it being traumatizing are there times when you like what like how, how do you talk to yourself after your worst gigs like what? What's going through your mind? Well, these days, I, I mean, let's let's assume that these days you no longer have bad gigs. I well, know that's how the, funny that's you the are. point I was going to make. That's the point I was going to make. You know, I I'm still a, I'm asking you to be vulnerable here about yeah. bad gigs that used to happen many years ago. <laughs> no, they still happen, but they, you know, they the, the longer you go on, um, I think the more capable you are of dealing with any terrible situation, and and those terrible situations don't arise as much. I did have a death. Uh, two weeks after my episode Apollo died, uh, aired. Sorry, after two weeks after Apollo aired, uh, I was on stage and I had like a horrible death. It was a in a restaurant. It wasn't set up for comedy at all. 
Um, and I was just thinking like, why am I, why am I here? And then I remembered the paycheck and I was like, oh no, that's why I'm here. I'm going to go, go out there and die for 40 minutes. But the, the good thing now is nothing can match the worst gigs I've ever done in my life. That, you know, show me the funny in a few gigs around about that time did harden me to, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Is it going to be seen by 4 million people and picked up by Spanish news? No. So what do I care what these six people in a restaurant think of me at the end of this? <laughs> Do you think that, that that negative experience changed how, changed the risks that you took as a comic? Because I think after a big bruising public defeat, when you're only 50 gigs in, that might make me kind of shrink back and go, oh, I'm just going to do the most acceptable stuff. Do you know what I mean? It might I'm, change my attitude towards risk. Did it do that I'm for you? I'm very stubborn. So, you know, <laughs> I had everyone telling me I shouldn't be doing comedy anymore. And that maybe I should. My mother even suggested I changed my name for, you know, she was like, why don't you go by, because my name is Ignacio Vincent Lopez Magari. Uh, so Vincent Magari after my granddad, Ignacio Lopez, my dad. And my mom was like, well, why don't you go by like Vincent Magari and, you know, do stuff that people want to hear about? <laughs> and uh, and I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm more successful than show me the funny ever was, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to make sure that, and I'm going to stick to my guns. I, I double down. Let's talk about the status, the high status on stage, the kind of you're lucky to have me angle. It's a, it's a really fun angle to hear. And you said in the beginning, it's like, because you'd seen lots of comedy where people were being deferent and, you know, like that, that, that kind of cliche of the self-deprecating male comedian going, Oh, I can't get a girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas they're cheating on like four different yeah. people at the same time. <laughs> a lot of scum out there, guys. A lot, a lot of scum. A lot of scum out there. <laughs> um, but, um, is there a relationship between the status and the stubbornness? I'm just trying to get into like who you are when you're um, who you are when you're off stage. Like what elements of your off stage self particularly are kind of I learned a great word recently. Congruence, as in like okay. the opposite of incongruent. I've never heard that phrase before. Congruence, where what you're saying on the outside reflects what you're thinking on the inside. Like I feel like you're pretty congruent. As a, as a, like your persona reflects your actual opinion about stuff. I think uh, it's definitely an exaggeration. I think that's what most people do on stage is like an exaggerated version of themselves. Um, I am very confident in my abilities. And most of the time is frustration of trying to, especially early on, it was frustration of trying to get that across. It's like, I, I know I'm funny. I know what I'm writing is funny and what I'm doing. I just have to make it work. And now, now I'm in a position where I know it works. So... Let's yeah. let's get into that. Where does that come from? I know this is funny, despite the fact that they aren't laughing at it. Because I'm fast, <laughs> I think we all we all go through that, and I think yeah. um, I th I've heard other comics say kind of versions of that. But that that that's a thing that I try and remind myself. If I think something's funny by now, it is funny. If yeah. they're not laughing, I simply haven't <laughs> managed to communicate successfully the way in which I think it's funny. Sure. But where does that come from for you? Because you did way back then, you had that kind of confidence as well. I know this is funny. And someone, a scientist would look at it and go, well, you are wrong because they're not yeah, the laughing. Data, so it can't be funny. The data doesn't the, match up, doesn't but match. you do know, and you were right. So just talk, just talk to me about that. I don't know what the question is, but what is that sensation of like, I know this is funny, even though they're not laughing? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's down to, <laughs> I don't know why I think I'm right <laughs> in the, in kind of stuff like that. I, 
like you said, and I, I do my sense of humor, and my sense of humor, it's not like some out there, really deep cut stuff that people can't get access to or really alternative. You know, I, I grew up watching like the Pink Panther movies with my dad, like dubbed into Spanish. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, and that stuff's a huge success and people love that stuff. So I know where my sense of humor comes from. It is, you know, a sense of humor that is out there. I'm not, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> I'm aware. I don't think. Do psychopaths think they're psychopaths? I don't know. But it's, I, I know it works. I've been doing it. If I, if I could make my friends laugh, if I could, if I could make myself a part of a group that I'm not a part of, uh, then it's just about scaling that up and reaching reaching more people. So, yeah. And I think it's, like, false arrogance is really funny. We look at stuff like The Office, which, you know, I, I don't think it's the greatest show of all time like some people, but the the humor comes from a lot of the time of this this arrogant character who is wrong. Um, and I have been wrong in my life, and that's where a lot of the jokes come from as well. People would be very surprised to know, to learn that I don't think I'm as good looking as I say I am on stage. Like, that's something... <laughs> I've been using for comedy for a long time. And what I find funny is like people's reaction to that after when I get off stage. Some people will assume I'm very full of myself. Some people will feel they need to come over and knock me down a peg or two going, you're not as good looking as you think you are. It's like, you don't know how good looking I think I am. You know what I said on stage, which is yeah. what I think is funny, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure why I think I'm right, but I know I am. <laughs> and there's, I'm interested in the relationship between you using comedy as a means on some level, as becoming part of the in-group or creating an in-group in which you have a role. And then afterwards, sometimes maybe people come over and go, hey, you're not all that and you're divorced from it. You're separated from it. Like, well, I, that's not real. Yeah. But presumably some of the feelings of being part of the in-group are real. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what the question is. I think um, also that there is, there is like a, an innate cruelty in, in comedy. Like a lot of the time we rely on um, attacking something, whether it's ourselves or, you know, a group of people like, you know, or, uh, you know, we talk about like punching up and punching down and stuff. I think it's funny to kind of flip that on his head and go out there as if I am, as if everything's beneath me, like you said, like as if everything's beneath me, whereas I know it isn't, you know, I come... I come from a, a really weird <laughs> upbringing, all immigrants in some way, shape or form. And every single one of them did something different. And the only thing that's kind of like held over is that uh, like kind of work ethic and not giving up. Like if my granddad had given up when he moved to Wales from Ireland, you know, I wouldn't exist. If my family in Morocco had given up and not finally gone back to Spain and start that family, met my mother when she moved out to Spain to work, then I wouldn't exist keep going <laughs> something good's going to come out of it i hope is that um it's interesting the idea of being a hustler like i've always liked the idea of hustling and now thanks to the sort of online incel adjacent cultures <laughs> you can't really talk about being a hustler without it being sort of steeped in this awful kind of uh, associations maybe that's maybe that's right rightly so <laughs> but i think it like it's not just work ethic is it it's stubbornness and self-belief and hard work and are there any other elements to it i think it's just the belief that like the uh, the worst is behind us as well like you know if you keep going like none of none of my gigs that i do even dying like a few like last month or whatever on stage in that restaurant like that's nowhere near the worst gig i've done i'm there's never going to be another day where i'm stood in a workingman's club having coins thrown at me from the back of a room over pool tables like that's never going to happen again 
So when did that yeah. happen? In Wales? Oh, that was yeah, pretty early on. That's it. so. That's in my tour show actually. I talk about. It started out. I talk about the worst gigs I've ever done in my life. Um, in order to get the money together to go see Nine Inch Nails in Los Angeles. And yeah, you know, I did a bunch of workman's clubs like when I started out because they, they were the only things going in Wales as well. There was a cu- yeah. Each city in Wales has got like an art center, the big cities, where they maybe have like a monthly comedy club. And like there was a few things going on in Cardiff, a couple of gigs in Swansea. My first gig ever was in Swansea. But like if you wanted to get on stage, you had to go do an hour... <laughs> You know, in your sixth gig, you had to yeah. go do an hour um, to a bunch of people in a in a workman's club in middle of nowhere. While they threw coins at you. Well, I didn't know. Yeah. So about 20 minutes into my set, I think I was dying. It was brutal. You know, they they I, people. They, firstly, a guy walked to the stage and he threw coins on the floor. And I was like, I'm not busking up here. You know, I've been booked <laughs> to play the club. Uh, and then. More people did it, just throwing coins on the floor. And then from the back of the room, over like three empty pool tables, they started throwing coins from the bar, you know. So I'm just sort of ducking and dodging, trying to trying to do impressions, because at the time I did impressions as well. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's obviously awful. And we can laugh yeah. about that now and go, okay, what good came of that? Sort of a, a kind of a, a helping you cultivate an attitude of I'm not coming off. I'm getting yeah, paid. Well, I'm fin- exactly. I'm doing my time and I'm getting paid. Well, I was told that, yeah. Was also, they were very clear before I went up there. Part of it is they're trying to entice you off the stage. So part of it was like, they, they said, you have to do an hour or you're not getting paid. That was That's kind of like a catchphrase through a lot of the worst gigs I've ever done in my life. If Jesus, you don't do your I mean, time, I believe that's you don't illegal. get paid. I believe yeah. that's illegal. Like, you can't just in- introduce that arbitrary yeah. rule. Yeah, I, to, I only yeah, drank seven-eighths of my pint, so I don't have to pay for it. Come on. <laughs> Um, and I, but after straight after that gig, I sat there and said, um, you know, I had to get paid by the committee, and they they didn't want to pay me. And I stood there, I was like, no, I did my time. It doesn't matter if how funny you think I was. Again, even this early on, my first year of comedy, I was like, I know I'm funny, so you're gonna pay me. <laughs> That's monumental. Good for you. Does it, yeah. is it? Is it good for you? Do you regret doing those sorts of gigs? I mean, given that you never have to do them again. Are you pleased that you did them because they toughened you up or would you rather never have needed to be toughened up? I don't believe in uh, like regretting stuff. So I think it all it all fed into what I'm capable of doing now is all thanks to these horrible situations I put myself in uh, early on. So stuff like Show Me the Funny, like I hated it at the time. I'd never do it again, but I don't regret doing it because... You know, it made me more cautious. It made me more aware of how people are trying to spin stuff. Uh, I certainly wouldn't walk into a room of, uh, you know, 50 sportswomen from Liverpool in the same way that I did that time. Uh, I'd probably have some more jokes prepared. Um, And like those gigs where that kind of stuff happens, you can start to see uh, warning signs. So, you you know, you walk into a gig now every time I'm like, right, well, you, you know straight away if something's set up right. And there is a science to setting up a room. But like if you have to perform over three pool tables, you know, to reach the audience, then yeah. that's a big red flag. <laughs> Tell me about when was the first time that you absolutely roofed somewhere post Show Me The Funny? Because I remember seeing you probably for the first time I'd seen you since then. I think it was we did the Glee Cardiff together. It was years yeah, yeah. ago now, so I can't remember how long ago, seven or eight years ago. I remember you wearing a yellow jumper and it was freaking you out. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I remember that yellow. You jumper. were like, "Do I talk about it? Do I do?" And I was like, "Just go <laughs> out and do your stuff, it's, man." I, I think that morning. Um, someone had said that I looked like a kid's TV presenter and I looked in the mirror and they were right. And I panicked. Yeah. I was like, oh God, what have I done? Yeah, how funny, how funny. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's but the backstage neuroses of Stuart Goldsmith. But I remember <laughs> I remember seeing, I was sort of excited to see you because I hadn't seen you for ages. Yeah. And you smashed the roof out. It was great. It was such a good gig. Yeah, and I remember fun. thinking, good for you, man. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was so pleased to see it. I mean, I was probably yeah. also, I think I might have been going on after you and thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, this is, there's, there's a lot of local stuff going here for the Welsh <laughs> that I cannot possibly access. Um, but um, so tell me about like, when did you, when and how did you start getting really good? Um, I was probably, because we did, I think we, we did Edinburgh like during the run of Show Me the Funny. We, we yes. both gone out yes, by that point. it was out on telly. It was out on TV yeah. whilst we were in Edinburgh, yeah. Yeah. So, and to be honest, man, the made absolutely zero difference to my show. Like, you know, nobody came. <laughs> nobody in Edinburgh had seen this show, which they had like four weeks previously. Yeah. Nobody came because of the show and nobody avoided it because of the show. It just, sure. you know, that's the beauty of Edinburgh. It's like, it means jack shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, your, your flyering game is more important than what credits you got and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, that first Edinburgh, cause that was my first time going up to Edinburgh as well, 2011, uh, that was like boot camp, and that, that made me, I think much, much better. Uh, and when I came out of that, when I was doing club gigs after Edinburgh, uh, that made me better. And it's just been a progression since then. The first, first time I can remember absolutely smashing a gig was probably about 2013. Uh, I did a gig in... Swansea, I kind of I hadn't gigged in Swansea for a while. I'd been, you know, mega busing it to London and going up to Manchester and trying out all these open spots and stuff. And somebody in Swansea booked me to do twenty. And um, I remember I was opening, and it, just from the second, the, the first line, my opening line, people were in hysterics. And I thought something had gone wrong behind me or something. You know what I mean? I was like, what, what is this? What's going on? Like, what's happening? And it's just, uh, yeah, just the hard work had paid off. Like, everything became so much tighter. Like, every joke was working. And I went back to Swansea, having not gigged there for a while. And, yeah, just smashed the living shit out of it. It was fun. And what, so hard work, yeah. selecting the right stuff. Is every one of your jokes worked? Like, you've got the kind of quality control to go, right, this, this stuff will work here. And maybe this stuff that I want to do isn't ready yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, being it being a language and like, you know, it is a language and you can learn how to make your stuff as great as possible. But, uh, you know, there's different dialects as well. So you might you might go to a crowd that aren't the same as, you know, every audience is slightly different in some way, shape or form. And sometimes you go out and it clicks and sometimes you got to work a bit harder for it. It's just kind of getting past barriers like South American Spanish is different to Spanish. So. You know, you got to kind of find love, out I'm if there's a word this, for that. I'm loving this language <laughs> metaphor. That's a runner. That's a runner for me. <laughs> what, uh, what what does comedy being finished look like to you? What's the end point? What's the do you I, ha- are you are you quite sort of uh, rigorous in terms of like goal setting, or is it simply to be doing it is the goal? I think um, I, I remember a quote from a, a filmmaker when I was in university, which was like, "You don't you don't finish a film." Uh, you abandon it. 
I don't oh, know if you've heard that. Oh, that's good. It's how, great, does that, isn't it? how does that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> <Is that> unnerving? <laughs> yeah, a little this bit. Is, this isn't the course for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I find it so. I like completed, finished articles of stuff, even if I'm not happy. You know, you're never going to be fully happy with something. But the beauty of comedy is you work on a new hour or a 90-minute show. I, I've, I've always been obsessed with this feature-length version of what comedy is. So, like, I think you can get away with, like, a feature-length film length of stand-up. So, like, my tour show is 90 minutes long. Uh, and I've done it. I've gone out there on tour and done 90 minutes. We have an interval. Um which drives me nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you do? But, what do you do during the interval? Do you oh, pace man, around I, in a circle? I go. I go. Yeah, I go. I don't pace. I go backstage and I just um, uh, usually have somebody in my ear who's like, "Oh, you missed this bit out, or you haven't done this. Okay, we'll do it later on." Um, Someone, just kind a, of, do you mean a literal person, like a tour yeah, manager? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, or just a friend. Whoever, usually, if somebody I've got opening for me, or uh, Michelle, gotcha. or somebody, okay. be like. You know, or Michelle will give me, you know, not notes, but she'd be like, you're swearing a bit much. <laughs> you know, you've said, you've said fuck a lot. <laughs> and I got to kind of adjust that and start, okay, clean it up in the second section. Um, but I like to have, I've, I'm sitting on, I've recorded three shows. Uh, so Espanola was one of them. We filmed it the same time we, we uh, recorded the audio. Uh, I've got that, the, all the footage from that show we recorded in the Frog and Bucket in Manchester. I've got... Uh, my other, my last tour, which was called Spain's Best Export in uh, the Gwyn Hall in Neath, which is like a big 400-seater theater, filmed it there. Uh, and I've got another show, which uh, I'm not happy with at all. So that's kind of gone out. But I've, I've taken bits from that to put in my new tour show. And uh, I like to have finished articles, even though none of them are finished yet. I've got them all. They're, mm -hmm. they're, sh they're, com they're complete shows. Mm -hmm. It's like I can move on from that then. I've done it. Um, and then procrastinate over getting it edited and doing all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> what's the What's the tour called? You're on tour in October. Are you? Yes, it's called Nine Fails. Oh yeah, that's uh, so, it, of course. Yes, and and yeah. it strikes me that's the first uh, title that isn't leaning into Spanishness. Yeah, totally. And I did I did a version of this show back in like 2017, I think, in Edinburgh. I've done. I've done versions of it along the way. So again, it feels like unfinished business. So I'm kind of like going back to it. And obviously I'm a better comic now. So I can talk more about the, the terrible, terrible gigs I did early on in my career to get the money, to cut the cash together, to go out to, to LA to see Nine Inch Nails. So it's quite, it's a kind of, it, I think it'll be interesting from a, people who like inside baseball kind of stuff with comedy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm good at making things accessible. I made Spanish history interesting for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> And, it, and is that is that also part, is there part of the sort of is there like a positioning decision there where you go I don't want to keep talking about Spain forever? Partly, yeah, and also like this is a big part. Everything I talk about on stage is stuff that interests me. So, Espanola was talking about Spanish history, and it is in, obviously you know it is interesting, but it's about making it funny and accessible to a British audience. Uh, and often that just involves being quite flippant with the you know the, the historical uh, material. Uh, but like so, that, Espanola was about Spanish history. Uh, Spain's best export was about you know me personally and my relationship to the UK um, and coming from Spain and a lot of cultural things. And Nine Fails is me talking about you know the two biggest things in my uh, creative and artistic life, which is like my love of Nine Inch Nails and and stand up comedy. So and it, yeah, it's whatever interests me at the time. I just kind of put everything into that until it's done. Part of me believes 
if you free yourself from desire, like it's the <laughs> moment when you don't give a shit anymore, yeah. they can tell. I mean, they can't yeah. tell, but there is, yeah. there must be some sort of, there must be something no, to that. It definitely, that definitely exists. And I, I, I walk into most situations now, not caring about how it goes. I'm like, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm living my dream. Like I'm, I'm doing stand up. You know, all I wanted in film was to be creative and to make stuff, and that's what I'm doing in stand up now. And you know, online, it's great. What a what a life. <laughs> what a what a weird cheating life we made. Managed to wake make our way into. You know. I mean, this is a beautiful setup for the final question, which, as you know, <laughs> is. Are you happy? Although, because you have just explained how well everything's going, <laughs> I, what I want to ask is, how do you bounce back when it goes less well? Um, like, yeah, what, what things? Question. What things do you think to yourself? You've got, you know, you're. Uh, I, I find myself saying this more and more. You seem to have pretty robust mental health. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, a pretty robust uh, attitude towards the. You it know, looks good on paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very structurally sound that was. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um. I think uh, for, in terms of like, I am I am creatively fulfilled right now. I mean, I'm loving stand-up, uh, but, you know, I'm still renting a flat. You know, my bank account still dipping in and out of overdraft. Everyone thought like being on Apollo makes you a millionaire. And I was like, guys, I just about managed to pay off my credit cards with that. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, and the show Nine Nick Fails as well is about like bailiffs coming to my door and stuff as well. Like I had a, I had a rough ride of it. And I'm not at any point in time thinking that, that's not there isn't potential for that to return so i keep keep working towards keeping that away at bay um like there's stuff in the show as well about things happening when i was a kid as well similar situation like we were uh evicted from our flat in spain and we were practically homeless for a little while um so i talk i talk about that a little bit and like that that fear never goes away of like you know the the idea that you could lose everything in a heartbeat um in terms of how do I, how do I bounce back after like something bad happens? Uh, <laughs> just, I, I've got a, a weirdly optimistic viewpoint on the outside, especially like when I'm talking to like my girlfriend and my family and stuff. Uh, but man, it's 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 dangerous up there <laughs> in your head. You gotta you gotta be very careful. Um, and I think if you keep telling yourself, keep working and you're gonna get through it, it's blind faith. It's it's, it's a form of insanity, man. It's uh, you know. But we, it's, what I, I keep asking myself as well, like, what, what the hell else am I going to do? I can't do anything else. I could, but I'd probably kill myself. So I'm going to keep doing this, you know. <laughs> Thanks, man. No sweat. Thank you. So that was Ignacio. Thank you so much to him for coming on the show. Very, very enjoyable episode. Uh, we have got some absolute belters in the can coming up with James Adomian of Incredible American Comic. Please, if you don't know James Adomian, start just get on YouTube now and search for him because he's such a phenomenal, like a deep character improviser. And he, it, it's just a joy. Lucy Beaumont is coming up soon. We have the aforementioned Gianmarco Cerezi and Neil Delamere. We have in the can a brilliant, a fascinating episode with um, Jeff Shaw, uh, who is a comic of whom you may not be aware. He's not a sort of big profile guy, but he's been a comic since the 80s uh, and has lived an incredible life within comedy and on cruise ships, becoming a director of comedy clubs on Carnival Cruises. And he's a fan of the show. And I've, uh, I was very pleased to welcome him to the show. And we've got just a comedy history lesson and some really interesting perspectives on picking yourself up and doing it all over again. So that's Jeff Shaw coming up soon. Plus, there's about... 
currently about 10 names on my list of people who I, I'm getting in soon. Everything to play for, and as they say, forever to play it in. So that will do for now. Thanks to Nathan for uploading the show. Um, thank you to the various um, ComCom Towers gargoyles, are they? Uh, including, but not limited to, uh, Moz, uh, Charlotte Wakeley, and uh, Susie Lewis, all of whom are doing very useful things uh, to steer the ship at the moment. And if you are in the Insiders Club, remember you can join it, Insiders uh, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders 20 minutes of extras from this one all of the other extra content and the slack workspace <laughs> i'm currently locked out of normal service will be resumed as soon as possible so that's all of that stuff i'm i'm not going to post amble at you today um however i will say i can't believe i have to do this again like two weeks after the last episode but i just want to um uh, spend a moment reflecting upon the life and the brilliant contribution to comedy of Adam Brace, who you will know as a comedy director behind so many acts. I mean, if, if you if you search for Adam's name on Twitter, he was an associate director of the Soho Theatre, was deeply important to the comedy community. And uh, I, although I never worked with him, I knew him. And we have lots and lots of mutuals, lots of people absolutely devastated by his sudden passing at, at only 43 um, and if you just like have a look for his name on Twitter or on whatever social medias you you follow uh, comics on, you will see just an outpouring of love that anyone would be really proud of. Uh, my heart goes out to anyone that was was very close to Adam, and um, and he will be much missed by the comedy community. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, I will be back with you uh, next week. Speak to you soon. Uh-huh.